Hello, you're tuned to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. We're pleased to have you join us. When surveyed, elderly people said their greatest regret was, I wish I'd taken more risks throughout my life. As F.W. Borum said, sometimes our greatest fears about life are those things that never happen. Do you consider yourself a risk taker? You may find it interesting to know that when surveyed, the biggest regret of elderly people was that they had not taken more risks. Hmm. So what's the benefit of taking risks? Surely that's for the thrill seekers of the world. Let's find out. Tonight, Dr. Corbett begins a five-part series titled The Risk Series. Let's kick it off as we join him now for The Risk of Pain and Suffering. I'm commencing a a new series, and I'm going to pray about it in a moment. But this is called The Risk Series, and it's partly provoked because, firstly, if we are going to experience everything that God has for us, it involves taking risks. In fact, if we consider what biblical faith is, it's actually a risk. So when you take a step of faith, you may not have all the information that you would like to have, and you're actually basing your action now on the information that you've got, which means you're taking a risk. And you might think that risk means no information. We'll correct that in a moment because I want to show you that it it doesn't mean that at all. So let's pray. Father, as we, we look at this now, It's my pastoral heart that everyone in our care would come into the joy that you have for them. A joy that can only be attained when we take steps of faith, when we take risks. And Lord, as we do that, I pray that people would not only experience the joy that you have for them, but Lord, they'll experience a growth. They will grow. They will grow as a follower of Christ. They'll grow as a person. Father, today, help me to hide behind your word and may your word speak clearly and do what only your word can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So life is full of risks. I I don't know that there's anything we can do that doesn't really involve risk. We sit on a chair. We expect it will hold us. We get in our car. We expect it will start and go. We do all sorts of things with just the almost the take it for granted approach to life so life is actually full of risks I remember hearing as a probably a young man in my early 20s it might may have been in my late teens when I heard this survey result and it was this when surveyed elderly people said their greatest regret was I wish I'd taken more risks throughout my life Of course, you you can say that as an elderly person because you get to that stage of life where you realise, as F.W. Borum said, sometimes our greatest fears about life are those things that never happen. And they become our greatest fears. They never actually happen. Here's how I want to define risk. A risk is something attempted in the hope of success, but also the possibility of failure. And you'll, you'll notice in the, the series that we're going to be looking at the risk of failure. And I hope, and don't take this the wrong way, but I hope our church becomes a church full of people who are failures in one sense. We're prepared to take a risk even though we run the risk of failure because every success 
was someone taking a risk where failure was a possibility. So whenever we're taking a risk, uh, uh, if you talk with Tony, our, our compliance officer and risk manager, you, we can never eliminate risk. We can't eliminate it. But what we can do is do what we can to manage it. And this is where every risk we take in life, and including our spiritual life, has this thing that mainly business people call the cost-benefit ratio. The cost-benefit ratio is if I do this, there'll be a price to pay, but the benefit will be this. Or I'll do this, the risk could be it'll go horribly south, but if it doesn't, the reward will be this. So that's the cost-benefit ratio. Sometimes every decision you, you take will, be, will involve risks. And, and, in, and to some extent, there will always be a cost. So what we have to do is weigh up the cost. Is the, is the cost worth it? So I'm going to show you from Scripture that the, this was incorporated in several of the parables that Jesus told. Here's a one-verse parable that Jesus told that illustrates this really well. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And here's the question. What's the point of this parable? Well, firstly, if we look at what Jesus is saying, a man found a treasure buried in a hidden in a field. It must have been substantial because he just couldn't pick it up and walk out with it. It would have required presumably some digging and excavating and loading up. But why would he sell everything? He sold everything, all that he has to buy that field. There's really only one reason why he would do that, isn't there? Because he thought the treasure was worth far more than everything he had and that if he sold that treasure he would be gaining far more than what he had just given up. Kim and I a few weeks ago were wandering not aimlessly we were walking through Adelaide and it was three days before Kim's birthday and I had told her, I won't get you a present here. I will buy you a present in Adelaide. Is that okay? She said, okay. Which I take to mean okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so um, I'm keeping my eyes open for anything that, that might have, you know, caught her eye. And she's, and for those that, uh, have come to know me, you know I'm a bit of a Roman history buff. And, and so we're walking through one of the many malls off uh, the Rundle Street Mall in Adelaide and we go, in, we, we go to this mall and there's a, like a coin shop and they've got coins, medallions, they've got postage stamps and things like that. And, and then Kim says, oh look, here's a, a first century Roman coin with that Caesar bloke you're always on about. It was Caesar Vespasian who reigned from 69 to 79 AD, or AD 69, AD 79. 
And I looked at it and I thought, you're joking. I had a look. I'm going, oh, no, I've never seen one. I'm looking at it going, it is too. Look at that. That's amazing. Like, a, Can you imagine a coin from, that's 2,000 years old? It's incredible. I'm looking at this. She wanders off because there was a chocolate shop next door, so whatever. I'm still looking at this coin going, wow, that's incredible. I hear coming down the, the, you know, the, the arcade, Andrew. Anyway, she, she comes, comes back. The shop is shut, so I can't go in. I can't do anything. But she said, oh, did you, did you want to buy that coin? Uh, maybe you could buy it. And then she, then she crushed all my dreams. Then she said, maybe you could buy it for me for my birthday. They can buy it for Kim. And then she said... And then she said what she just said, but you could borrow it any time you like. <laughs> and I'm thinking, she is the nicest wife in the world. She's just saying that to appease me. She's just saying that to give me license because that coin was, was a, quite a bit of money. So I said, no, no, you don't want a Roman coin. Jeez, even I know you probably want something made of chocolate. I get that. But... So as we're, we're, we're sort of going over the weekend and I was preaching in a church morning and night on the Sunday, she said, you really want that coin, don't you? I said, oh, no, look, I, I want to get you something. She said, no, get it, get it for me and you can borrow any time you like. I said, are you sure? Like, really? I haven't seen the coin since after I bought it and gave it to her. But no, I have, I have. She's, she's, she said, look, there it is back puts it away anyway so I paid a lot of far more for that coin than than the Roman who originally got it in the first century would have paid for it because for me it was valuable uh, sorry for me it was valuable to give to Kim <laughs> so here's the cost benefit ratio of even becoming a Christian so here the risk language in this and this is Paul saying if what we have preached is false and you've believed it, if the Christian message is not true and you have believed it, you are a fool. That's what Paul says. Sometimes I have atheists say Christianity's totally not true. That's why I'm not a Christian. I go, okay, fine, no problem. Just one little detail that you've got to take care of. Prove it. Just prove that it's false. And I'm with you. Totally. Paul, the apostle, actually says this is how you can prove Christianity is false. By the way, if it was false. This is what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, that is raised from the dead, your faith is futile, a waste of time, foolish, silly. And, if, and, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. In other words, if you have become a Christian because you get to hang out with really nice people on Sunday, if that's your reason for becoming a Christian, you could find really nice people pretty much nearly anywhere else. That's not the best reason to become a Christian. If you have become a Christian because it makes you happy, you in this life it makes you happy then you don't really get it either I was reading through C.S. Lewis's book Mere Christianity he said this if you do not understand that you are 
in the wrong, that you have done wrong, and that the Creator is a good God who has never done wrong, and compared to Him, you need to be forgiven, then everything the Christian message represents will be meaningless to you. So here's what Paul is saying. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, which Jesus said, everything I say, I will demonstrate as true by this one fact. In three days, I will be dead three days, and on the third day, I will rise from the dead, and that will verify every claim I've made. And Paul says, here you go, atheist, here you go, unbeliever, agnostic, whatever, If you want to disprove Christianity, just prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. A guy by the name of Josh McDowell, who was a young man who was physically abused by his father nearly every day of his childhood, who was then later sexually abused by a family member for years, who grew up angry and bitter, hating God. He went to university and he saw a group of Christians doing a Bible study in the cafeteria and he flipped. He was so angry at them. How could they believe something so stupid that there is a, the idea that there is a good, loving God when he'd gone through so much pain in his relatively short life at that point? And he came over to them at the table where they were and he said, What are you doing? Oh, we're studying the Bible. You're fools. You're idiots. How could you believe such nonsense? He said to them. And a girl said, you know what? You could be right. All you've got to do is just prove it. That's all you've got to do. Oh, yeah? How do you suggest I do that? Oh, that's easy. Exactly this verse. Just prove that Jesus Christ did not physically rise from the dead. And we're with you. You're completely right. He said, oh, How hard can it be? And he set off on a quest across Europe, going to some of these places, these museums, where they actually keep some of these ancient documents that are based on 2nd, 3rd, 4th century uh, documents copied from the 1st century documents to see if this is what Christians believed and if this was true. And at the end of that search, he concluded the evidence that Jesus Christ actually physically rose from the dead is overwhelming. And he became a Christian. And he ended up writing 100 books supporting the belief that Jesus rose from the dead and the Christian message. Pretty amazing. There's two types of risk takers. I'm, I'm married to one. And, and it looks like this. Whenever we go to a restaurant or a cafe or something like that, Kim will say, what are you going to order? And I'll normally go just the same old, same old, right? Is there anyone... Like, same old, same old? Same old, same old. And she goes, no, no, no. Order something you've never ordered in your life. You get a cold sweat, you begin to shake, you get all nervous. As you look beyond the same old, same old on the menu. Vegetarian! (laughs) Excuse me, no swearing in church, please. (laughs) Here's the first type of risk taker, the impetuous. They do things, and and I I couldn't fit this other word in, but to be impetuous means without thought. You just do it. 
It's kind of, if, you've, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a character in there. It's a little mouse. It's about this big called Reapy Cheap. And while the rest of the, like they're being invaded by, by foreign um, pirates or whatever, and while these guys are wondering now, should we attack? Should we defend? Reaper Cheap's already gone. He's already into it. He's fighting them off. He's just impetuous. He just does it. Um, he's probably one of my favourite characters in the whole Chronicles of Narnia series, except for, Mike Satan's not here today, is he? Puggle Glum is... Uh, is just he is uh, another character in the C.S. Lewis thing where he's always negative. Or puggle glum, glum is the word, right? Glum. He's just so negative, and he says that all his other marsh wiggles think he is too happy and over the top with with joy. And I think you've got to be joking. The second type of risk taker is the considered risk taker. These are the people who go, just hang on a minute, let's think this through. Let's just. Do the pros and cons and the cost-benefit ratio analysis on this, shall we? Let's take our time. So who of these two are the impulse buyers? The first one, the impetuous. Just buy it without thinking, get it home and then realise it wasn't quite what was on the box. All right. Here's a proverb that describes both of these people. This is Proverbs Chapter 21, verse 5, it says this, The plans of the diligent, that is the considered, the people who consider their options, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And there's, a, there's a, an application principle in that. Here's the, the last chapter of the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, is often used to convict women of being uh, not anywhere near the woman, the calibre of the woman described in Proverbs 31. And I actually suspect that the woman described in Proverbs 31 is actually not a woman at all. It's wisdom itself. And it says this, she, and I'm going to suggest to you, she, wisdom, considers a field and buys it. But did you notice that? Considers, weighs it up, thinks through, yeah, okay, this could go, if I take a loan... I might not be able to pay the loan back. That's a risk. So weighing all those sort of things up, she buys it. Wisdom buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So she's, and what does that tell you? That the considered risk taker is not just thinking of the here and the now, but is thinking of the future. She plants a vineyard. Uh, I've, I've heard expressions recently where it said, um, we need to be a generation that plants a tree under whose shade we will never sit and enjoy, but generations to come will. You know, the sign in the nursery, the best time to plant a tree, 20 years ago. Second best time to plant a tree, today. So the considered risk taker will think beyond the moment and will think ahead. So I want to talk about this, this aspect of risk. This is the first in the series that we're looking at. This is dealing with the risk of pain and suffering. I didn't hear any amens or any hallelujahs to achieve the reward of growth and joy. So let me see if I can, I can make that case. Firstly, when it comes to pain, how many types of pain are there? How can you be in pain? And, and we, I hope 
by now, most of us look fairly uh, mature that we, we realise that when we talk about people being in pain, it's not always obvious, is it? It's not like a, a cast or a pair of crutches or things like this which indicate someone's in pain. There are different types of pain, and this is what I, I want to point out now, that there are these different types of pain. The first one I'm going to point out is the obvious, physical pain. Secondly, there's psychological pain. So in, in physical pain, of course, we all know that. That's, that's just where you physically hurt. And psychological pain is where you're in, the word is anguish. It's an internal thing. We may not be able to tell that you're going through that. That's psychological. By the way, the word psychological comes from two Greek words. The first Greek word is suke, which means soul. So psychological pain is actually an ache of the soul. So it's anguish. It could be worry, fretting. The third type of pain you could be in is emotional pain. You've been hurt emotionally. Someone has perhaps betrayed you. It could be something that you've done and it causes you emotional pain, such as, I wish I hadn't done that. If I hadn't done that, then I wouldn't, you know, that kind of thing, regret. That regret can really hurt. The person who says that they've lived their lives with no regrets, I find is either lying or is one of the, uh, the most self-unaware people you'll ever meet. Because for those of us that are sensitive to others, we'll know that there are times when we say things to others that hurt them emotionally. And I, for one, and I hope you do as well, regret those moments. The fourth type of pain is spiritual pain. Spiritual pain where you feel guilt. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's a, it can be a painful place to be in when you're going through that kind of spiritual pain. Does pain have any benefit? Is there anything good about pain? Physically, I've mentioned some of these things about pain, but you know, you can actually, if you've gone to the, anyone go to the gym, apart from me? Never been to a gym in my life, but anyway, a gym. And you work and you work and you work and you work. You get to that point where if you want to build your strength and your stamina and your muscles, you actually have to get to a point where it hurts, just when it hurts. Otherwise, it's just all for show, isn't it, Ruby? Oh, emotional pain now. Right, I see. <laughs> so physical pain, can, it can have, if you're doing it intentionally, so you know that, uh, I remember reading Andre Agassi's uh, autobiography called Open, when he went from being number four in the world to being 140 in the world, he put on 20 kilos, he was so out of shape, he wasn't winning in the first round of tournaments anymore, it was so humiliating for him. And he got a strength coach called Gil Ray, former NFL fitness uh, strength coach. And Gil Ray took him out into the uh, Nevada desert and at the back of his pickup truck threw off a great big truck tyre. And he said to Andre, pick it up. So he picks it up. Okay, see that big sand dune out in the desert? I want you to roll that big truck tyre up to the top. Then I want you to pick it up and I want you to carry it back down the sand dune. So Andre Agassi did this, and he said, and do it again. 
and do it again. And it, Andre Agassi is saying, this guy was the nastiest piece of work he'd ever met. This guy was, had no heart. And he made Andre hurt and hurt and hurt. But after a while, when Andre Agassi won, I think, another eight Grand Slam titles, which back in the day they didn't pay much, only about a million dollars a piece, he was rather grateful to Gil Ray for the pain that he put him through. So intentional pain can increase your strength. It can also help your immunity as well. A healthy body is often in a better place to be more immune. So what about psychological pain? Well, psychological pain, when it's intentional, it means you're doing things to help your soul, to help your mind, which is connected to your soul. And so that intentional pain helps you to concentrate more. How many of us have sat down and said, I'm going to read a book, and you get to about the end of the first or second page and you're already nodding off? And I remember reading uh, Mortimer J. Adler, who wrote the book, How to Read a Book, and he said, that's normal. I said, it is? I thought it was just me. And he, and he actually said, no, no, that's normal. That's your brain being exhausted from having to concentrate for the length of two pages of reading. So he actually says, what was that, Kate? Try reading Kesselman. Try reading Kesselman, yeah. is a German theologian that I forced Kate to read. <laughs> and didn't it do your soul good? <laughs> and you get, and, and so you can actually intentionally put your suke, your mind and your your soul into this place where it hurts. It, it, you have to concentrate and it improves your attention span and it can help you to become more resilient to things. So these are some of the benefits of that kind of pain. What about emotional pain? Is emotional pain of any benefit at all? And this is what I want to say, particularly to young people. You will be hurt People will say things about you. And I'll, I'll, let me just say, as the father of three daughters, I'll say that sometimes girls can be really nasty to each other. I'm not saying that men aren't. Men can be. But girls can be in a way that it really hurts. And it hurts because girls tend to be more socially connected. And when that is, feels like it's under strain, it can really, really hurt. So I get that. But this is what I, I, I want you to realise. There's actually some benefit even in those moments. It can help you to be positively confident. Here's why. Because I'm, I'm sure if we had a moment of transparency in this church, there would be many people that could tell some of our young people, you know what, when I was your age, I had my heart set on marrying this, if you're if you're a guy, you could say a, a girl. And, oh, man, I was so sure that's who I was going to marry. And she, she didn't want to know me. And it hurt, and I cried and cried and cried, and it hurt. This happened to Billy Graham, by the way. And he, he went to Bible college. He saw a girl. He, he, he asked her to come out with him. And, and she said, why would I go out with someone like you, a spiritual wimp who never amount to anything in this life? Billy Graham. So he goes out in the middle of the football field with the bunch of flowers and the chocolates that he had taken to her to invite her out on a date. And it's pouring rain and he's bawling his eyes out. And some of his friends, his, his roommates, 
came and found him and brought him back in and consoled him. He then changed Bible colleges. <laughs> he went to Wheaton where he met a lady by the name of Ruth Bell. And he met Ruth Bell and straight away he says, that's who I'm going to marry. Now, I don't know that we can always be that confident, by the way. But he, he was. And he went up to Ruth Bell and he said, uh, Will you, would you come out on a date with me? And she said, why would I go out on a date with someone like you? And he said something like this, because I'm going to change the world. He had an answer. <laughs> He'd become more positively confident. They did get married. They ended up having five children. They had a happy marriage. So you can also become, if you're emotionally strong because of the pain you've gone through, you can actually become more emotionally expressive as well. And you can become empathetic with people who perhaps are going through similar things. And you become wiser because you realise you don't give your heart away too soon, too quickly. You become wiser for that emotional pain. What about spiritual pain? Well, spiritual pain will cause you to be humble. It can cause you to become compassionate with others. It can cause you to become considerate and wiser. And when you're going through spiritual pain, it can cause you to become more prayerful, to be able to pray. Here's what Paul the Apostle had to say, and you'll see all of these things incorporated into these these verses that form one passage in 2 Corinthians. For I wrote to you out of much, notice what he says, much affliction and anguish of heart. So see how he's feeling? And with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. So this sounds like someone who has grown in each of those four areas. So pain can actually help us to grow to grow as a person. It can help us to, ca to calibrate risk. In other words, because you've been hurt and you've experienced pain, you're more wary about going through that again. So it can help you to calibrate those things. Paul goes on to say this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken struck down but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh so death is at work in us but life in you since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all joy for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Notice what he said he's just gone through. Persecution. He later goes on in chapter 11 and describes all those afflictions that he went through, which includes shipwreck, being beaten, being whipped, being stoned. Through our outer, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this momentary, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, Paul says, 
And so we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. They will pass, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, which is, he calls our body, a tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For while we are still in this tent, uh, so uh, it says, he who has prepared for us this very thing is God. He who has given us the Spirit, he has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. There's attitude, that's psychological health. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul has listed all four categories of pain, physical pain, psychological pain, emotional pain, and spiritual pain, And he has said, but we have learned that those things don't last and that in the midst of all of them, God is doing something in us. Three times this year so far, I've spoken at St. Paul's Chapel at the Launceston General Hospital. I've spoken with those present who include cancer patients, people who are coming out of motor vehicle accidents, people with terminal disease. And I've been able to share some of the truths found in that passage from Paul. And I'll tell them what I'm about to tell you, that a biblical theology of suffering bolsters rather than batters our faith in God, just as Paul has just described. Paul doesn't say, because we've been persecuted, we give up on God. Because we've suffered, we give up on God. Because people have rejected us, we give up on God. He hasn't done any of that. In fact, he has said... We go through all these things and it just makes us long to be with God where we will never go through these things ever again. And we need a good theology of suffering. I don't want you to be a pain, but I do want you to know how to endure pain. Please note that. How this theology of suffering and pain and the risk that we take to live life where we could be hurt. I'm at that point in my life now where whenever I have a near miss road accident and as nearly happened yesterday I was driving down the road and someone came and stopped in the middle of the the lane I was in because they're about to hit me because they were looking that way when I was coming that way I thought hmm that'd make for an interesting prop at tomorrow's sermon if I'm wheeled onto the stage in a body cast in a wheelchair preaching this it'll kind of give me a bit of authority to tell you what I'm telling you now but that didn't happen praise God because the Lord knows I have an allergy to pain. And so let me conclude by telling you a little story about this man. This man's name was Jim Elliot. In his early 20s, he married a woman by the name of Elizabeth. That's her pictured there. And 
in his journal as he was going through Bible college, he became really stirred that he wanted to give his heart and life completely to God, utterly surrendered. And so in listening to his instructors at college, he wrote this in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which, uh, that which he cannot lose. He wrote that 28th of October, 1949. Let me tell you what happened. As he completed his Bible college training in 1956, he and four other young men went to the Ecuadorian Amazon. They arrived there and as they got off their plane with the intention of going to these unreached people of the Equatorian Amazonian jungle, they came out to greet these five men, these five young men, four of whom were in their 20s, one was just in his 30s. And the Horani tribesmen speared them all to death in a matter of minutes. They left behind five widows and nine young children. Jim had just been married two years. His wife was pregnant and she would give birth to a daughter by name of Valerie. That's Elizabeth with Valerie two years after Jim, her husband, and Valerie's dad had been killed with the intention of taking the gospel to the Hurani tribe of Ecuadorian Amazon. That picture is taken with Elizabeth arriving in the same village that her husband was planning to go to. The result was that that entire village gave their life to Christ. It's an amazing story. You can read, I think it's called uh, Splendor of Glory. Glory, was it? Through Gates of Splendor. That's it, sorry. I knew we had splendor in there, where Elizabeth tells the story. So here's the question. Having told you what I've just told you about the risk involved in life and enduring pain and suffering, today is designated as Pray for the Persecuted Church Sunday. So here's the question. Having heard what we've just heard, how should we pray for the persecuted church knowing that in Afghanistan last week dozens of Christians were killed by the Taliban for no other reason than the fact that they would not bow the knee to Islam and they remained faithful to Christ? Here's what I have found and you know that I spoke at length with someone who's had a lot to do with the persecuted church. Jim McMillan told me this, never once did they pray ask for prayer that they would be kept safe it does my head in they prayed and they asked for prayer that they will remain faithful to Christ faithful to Christ they are prepared to remain and this is what we know about Christians down through the centuries whenever danger is presented as a possibility they run into the danger not away from it the apostle Paul said this when he was confronted by the Ephesian elders who told him if you go to Jerusalem it will be a matter of time before you are taken against your will and put to death and Paul says this Paul answered what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I am ready not only to be imprisoned but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus so how should we regard the risk of pain and suffering in our pursuit of knowing 
and serving Christ. I hope you don't value your comfort, your ease, your prosperity higher than knowing, serving and being faithful to Christ. Would you please stand? As we've heard tonight, there are different types of pain, physical, emotional, psychological and so on. And while we might be very keen to avoid those, there are actually benefits to us if we take the risk and experience them. More from Dr Corbett next week with the risk of failure. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.